Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. This is your host, April Hanna, and today we are inviting back one of our friends who has been a guest on the show, Marla Fries, and she can also be listened to in Path 11 podcast episode 36 and 86, and we have her back today to talk about her new book that is going to be launched on June 5th, American Psychic, A Spiritual Journey from the Heartland to Hollywood, Heaven and Beyond. But before we get to that, um, I just wanted to make an announcement to let you guys know that this summer we are going to be putting out one podcast a week for the summertime because Mike and I are going to be doing some video podcasting, if you want to call it that. But we're going to be doing um, a new series called Conversations on the Path, where I actually get to sit down with friends and talk to them. And we are going to have a video and audio format for you guys. So be on the lookout for that. And uh, as always, we will have some of the podcasts that have been released yet on our Patreon site. So if you would like to become a patron and donate even a dollar, um, that would be awesome to help support the Path 11 podcast. So for those of you who have not listened to episode 36 or 86, let me tell you a little bit about Marla. So Marla spent 25 years as a successful TV and stage actress. And since devoting herself to her current work, she has appeared as a psychic medium on A&E, Bravo, History Channel, Sci-Fi, TV Land, and Gaius TV Beyond Belief with George Nori. On the radio, Marla has appeared on George Nori's Coast to Coast, Lisa Gar's Aware Show, and dozens of podcasts. Marla is a co-host of Dreamland on UnknownCountry.com, and most recently she appears on YouTube teleconferences with physicist and author Tom Campbell, blending physics with metaphysics to understand the science of how Marla works. She appears in cities and towns across the country, presenting messages with Marla to small and large groups, educating people on their own intuition, connecting them with deceased loved ones, and potentially providing information about any aspect of their lives. And Marla and I and Mike, we have all become friends. I think the synchronicity happened through the work of Tom Campbell, and uh, it's been a great friendship ever since. So welcome, Marla. Well, thank you so much, April and Mike. I'm delighted to be here again. Yeah, and I'm so excited and happy for you that you have written this wonderful book. Um, I had the chance to read it and actually write a review, and that was really cool. So thank you. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. And I'll tell you, it is a book that takes you on a wild ride and a journey of your life. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy to think about as you're reading the story, all of these different things that have happened to you along, along your life. Uh, the beauty of the synchronicity of it all. And, you know, we're talking about dead people. We're talking about murder, Hollywood heartthrobs, sex, psychic visions, UFOs. I mean, it's like you threw everything in there and the kitchen sink, I guess we could say. So. Oh, my God. That's really great. Yes. And there is actually a scene in the movie or I oh, I'm calling it a movie already. This is great. Oh, I'm precogning that it will be a movie. Um, there is a set. There is a section in the book where I am beside a kitchen sink, detailing a very interesting conversation. So look, the, it's just become transparent for our listeners. 
Yeah. And I'll tell you, in reading the book, it's funny that you say it's a movie because to me, it felt like I was literally watching a movie. I mean, it, this is a book that's really hard to put down. You just get so engrossed in your story. And uh, it was just so visual for me. I think it's the way in which that you write that I felt like I was watching a movie. So um, I had a great time reading it. Good. Well, thank you. Well, it is. It's a great read for the summer. Some people have told me that they read um, up to 70 pages and then they have to sort of download in their own psyche what's happening for their own lives. And that's what people do. They they go on this ride with me, but it is something that makes them reflect on their own lives, their own experiences. You know, this basically is from trauma and drama to transformation. There's love, loss, joy, and forgiveness with a twist. There are secrets in here that get revealed. When my hometown gets a hold of this book, they won't they, they won't even know what to do because they had an idea and an imagery of who they thought I was. And when they read this book, they'll understand that, that the connection that we have all had together is deeper than they even know. Right. And, you know, maybe where, where should we start exactly? I mm. guess I'm trying to think like if people, you know, were enticed to pick up this book, it really, it's a story of a woman, it's a story of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so relatable, I think, to, to all human humans on many different levels, because I think one of the things that is most remarkable about this is your vulnerability. And, mm-hmm. um, you're really just kind of shedding light on the beautiful and the ugly of your life and embracing it and loving it and then putting yourself out there. And I always feel that people who can stand within their light and their own power and share their stories, the, the vulnerability aspect of it is just so healing for those who can be a part of that. Well, thank you. And I, I think that you're right about that. I, I believe that I had to write this book at a time in my life when I suffered a great deal of loss. And loss is the game changer that resets our lives. And that is part of the opening of the book. When we have been stripped down and when we have lost either through death or or just life, I mean, illness, um, uh, relationships, anything where something that was we thought was concrete shakes us up. It gives us the opportunity for reflection. And it's also when we are so broken, you know, where the crack, that's where, as Rumi says, where the cracks are is where the light comes in. And that's when I started really sitting down and the book actually flowed out of me exactly the way it was written. The the cadence, the stories, the ideas, it was as though I was listening to someone else tell me my own story. And I it was it was an extraordinary experience. And I really encourage anybody who has been thinking about doing this with their own lives to just start because put on music that you love. Um, I like rain. I like gray days. So that makes me want to sit down and, and take a look and revel in the love that I've had and also explore some of the pain, which I think is what people are having problems doing. It's one of the reasons they medicate themselves. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I would agree. And I think part of, of the writing in the book and your stories 
um, just kind of makes the pain a little more human and like, okay, you know, I'm not the only one that's gone through something similar to this. Like your story is very relatable, I think. Um, and, and I, I wanted to ask you, so why now, what was it within you that felt like, let me put my life into a book? What was the driving force for that for you? Well, you, you know, April, when I look at the trajectory of the time, I think I laugh because I thought I was going to take this book out in 2012. And Spirit basically nudged me and uh, had a different idea. You know, we make plans, the LCS, God laughs. Well, I had to grow up. I had to learn some more. I had to see the distance. You have to get distance between your own life and sharing it with other people. And don't you find it curious after reading the book that, I mean, I was experienced me too's from way, way back. And it's not about uh, punishing or shaming anyone that has come into my life that was either a perpetrator or someone that was incredibly challenging. Actually, they were incredible gifts. You know, we have um, gifts that come into our lives that are not so pleasant, but here I am now and I'm a better person for all of it. Yeah. And I know that the book is, is launching June 5th. Um, but in the interim, you've had people like myself and I'm sure other friends, colleagues actually get a chance to read the book. And I'm curious to know what's that feed, what is the feedback that you've been getting from people? Well, I'm so grateful because the people that have been kind enough to take the time and the energy to take a look at it in their very busy lives. Um, it's It's been extraordinary. Brian Weiss, who's one of the most you know profound uh, writers and contributors to this conversation in the world, took a couple of months to be able to get back to me about it. And his quote is at the top of my book on the cover. And it's part of the quote, which is, is this is a powerful and fascinating book, but his extended um, testimonial is or endorsement is basically, this is a book that will help many people. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me. But that's the whole point, April. I really do believe that this larger consciousness that we are working with gives us time frames on things. And what is in the book is, well, you'd have to tell me how anecdotal it is, I suppose, because I, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. Because I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm hearing from other people, but it is something that is, t is affecting people and it's helping them in various ways. So yeah. actually, the, the, um, the testimonials are up on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and Simon and & Schuster for anybody who would like to take a look at them. So you can read that yourself if you'd like. Yeah, I think the, the thing that happened for me in reading your book was you, I couldn't help but reflect on my own life. And uh, especially when there was a part in the book where you were talking about uh, the synchronicity and how one thing led to another event, another event led you to another person, that person led you here. And so as I'm watching your life play out and finding a lot of comfort in watching the synchronicity that happened, even though you had a lot of trials and tribulations and loss and hurt and abuse, um, you know, and you're kind of feeling for you as the reader and, oh my gosh, but then you see how your life traveled in such a way. 
um, it brought me comfort in thinking about all of the synchronistic events that I have gone through, been through, and then kind of uh, less fear and anticipation of what's going to happen next, because your book allows almost like a blueprint or a map to watch somebody's events through their life and see how there were no mistakes whatsoever, um, that even in the pain, there was beauty and there were gifts. Absolutely. And, you know, I laugh at myself. I'm still, of course, going through similar dynamics. And when I talk to facilitators and other people who have been coaches throughout my, my life, um, it's it's typical for most people who have had trauma to be circling in the moat and looking at the castle and going, oh, my God, there's the castle again. <laughs> and you're swimming around the moat. Oh, my God, there's the castle again. But I think we finally do get to a point in our lives where, yes, this too shall pass. We are in this um a traumatic experience or challenging experience. Our bodies have healed. We're still here. And if our bodies are sick, they are consistently giving us information as to how to live better. Right now, I have a person going into the hospital this morning for a radical surgery. Um, I have another, another girlfriend who has been in the hospital in and out with a very strange lymphoma. All of us are watching our friends, our loved ones suffer in different ways. And I know that this is the opportunity that we have when we get sick like this to change the way we think. And one of those major uh, um, shifts that we all make at some point in time is about forgiveness. And you, well, you are psychic, so you must have read my mind about my next question because <laughs> that's the lead-in. And the forgiveness that I'd actually like to talk about is the forgiveness that you found for your mother in the book. So as a reader, um, you know, reading the story and uh, watching the relationship with your mother unfold from early childhood as you were growing up, later becoming an adult, and then coming to a place of forgiveness um, that you reached with her at the end was very moving. And even if we have great relationships with our mother, it's not even about that. The story in within the story is the story of forgiveness. Right. It doesn't matter if it's a mother, a father, a boss, um, uh, a former relationship. We all have various patterns that we've had to navigate. To And I, yes, it is challenging when it is a mother figure. And we don't often write about mother figures. You know, those, um, the nurturing aspects of life and, and love is funneled through this amazing vascular system into birth, into the world. But I'm going to take it on a different uh, level here. One of the things that I learned, which is also toward the end of the manuscript, is when I went to Monroe for a number of different courses, the Monroe Institute, and I had an experience, of course, this is the LCS offering us, God offering us an opportunity for different perspective. And in that perspective, I make communication about why I was born to this family. I made um, an un I had an understanding about choosing to come to this experience. I had memory 
of basically flying over the lush green mountains of Pennsylvania, making a decision, oh, okay, this is where I can be born. This looks nice into this very beautiful Norman Rockwell environment. Like I could hear the cries and the pain of my mother asking for help, um, praying for something to change her life. And on some level, my consciousness, my soul thought I could make a difference. Well, and do you want to talk a little bit more about that experiences at the Monroe Institute? Um, because, you know, I, I've had many conversations with people talking about soul contracts and that we do plan our life coming in and, and reading that also in the book, when you shared that, it just really, uh, actually hearing somebody talk about it and personally using that knowledge that you receive from it, it really kind of made me feel that those quote unquote theories, I'm not saying that they are theories or not, but what I have read by other people that there is a plan that the soul agrees upon before it comes in and that we do have these soul contracts with these other souls that we reincarnate with. It just made it feel to me uh, very real and that it gave it substance and something more that I could hang on to, to believe that that to be true. Good. It's a it's a natural desire for all of us to have some sort of scaffolding and and perhaps you know with the advent of this book going out there, people will start to think in different ways. I've I've tried to bridge ideology in the book from my own experience from the from the Lutheran Church through being a born again through altered states of consciousness and more consciousness while being in third world countries and seeing how other people you know live their lives. The forgiveness aspect is happened in one experience that I think I'll just share to tease the book, but it's when I am touching in on a previous lifetime, a, a past life, and I wasn't anticipating that. It wasn't necessarily something that was dictated in the course that you would be doing, but part of the information before we went into our meditation was that you might acquire another aspect of yourself that you had lost, or you might see another lifetime. And I was this young girl, probably maybe 12. No, no, I don't think older, no older than that, not older. But I was laying on a gurney in what looked like a makeshift room hospital where there was a doctor and a nurse. And the doctor came over to me and I was strapped down. And the doctor came over to me and held my arm, and I could feel his pain in hating me. I could feel his dishonor in what he was about to do. It was as though I could feel my consciousness shifting from this 12-year-old girl into the doctor and back and forth. I could, f and I felt what he was feeling. So I felt his hate and disgust for me as he said, I'm going to open up your arm and give you something that is either going to make you very sick or kill you. And I realized that I was in a concentration camp. In feeling that, that hate or that he was going to harm me, I basically said in that moment, I am you, you are, you are me, why are you doing this? This doesn't need to happen. And I could feel myself leaving my body 
And I looked at this doctor and this nurse and said, your hate will not destroy my love. And that struck me so deeply as though I have carried that conversation, possibly from that lifetime, all through. And this is, and I brought this into this conversation this time. And when we talk about my, my relationship with my mother, there were moments, even as a young child, where what was happening to me, whether it was physical, emotional, or other abuse, I basically felt inside my soul, your hate will not destroy me. Mm. But it chips away at your soul, especially as a child. It imprints you. And when we have that kind of boundary breaching, right, April, when, when people are broaching our boundaries, we get in some way to feel how they feel and how they think. And that was one of the gifts of my mother's um, uh, mental issues. I could feel when she was going to be acting out. I had to intuit, which is where I basically feel that my, my uh, heightened sensitivities came from, by navigating her pathology. Mm. And I've experienced it um, on a personal level, but also working with so many people uh, in my own practice, uh, having specialized in PTSD and anxiety, is that I do find that many people that have a trauma history tend to be very intuitive people for that that's kind of same reason that you described, um, or example, is that they needed to really use their intuition and feel everything around them, all of their surroundings, in order to survive certain situations. Yes. Well, and we're in a country dynamic right now where we have such heightened anxiety about people's behavior, about what's going on in the world. And part of that I find very interesting, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. You know, I, I look at our president as a gift in many ways of looking at our own darkness and and all of those things that are coming to the surface, whether it is... Um, something political, but it really is the nature of some of the pain that we in America have continued to bury that keeps coming up, you know, racial uh, questions, questions about safety, guns, protecting ourselves, all of those things that I feel, and this is one of the reasons I called the book American Psychic, the American part of this is we're a, we're a society of children from veterans, we, are, we watched our fathers and mothers navigate coming back from wars and medicating themselves. You know, I never got to really find out psychologically what was wrong with my mother, except this last year I did talk with people who knew what happens when you take Darvacet and Valium and the rage that comes out of people from that psychological disturbance of those medications when you take them together. Hmm. So... Many of us have watched our parents and our and our forefathers, who were, ang- you know, had a lot of anxiety, not handled that anxiety well, except medicated. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. What do you think? I don't know about which part. <laughs> well, I I think that when we have anxiety and we try and medicate it, we are we are dampening 
not only our own intuition, but we're dampening the trauma, the pain. Now, in some ways, that's necessary for a certain amount of time, or we wouldn't have medications to even get us through surgeries. But I'm looking at long-term use of this and what it what it's actually doing. It's, it's shutting down our psychic abilities, but it's not giving us the opportunity to process the trauma. Right. I think it's another way to maybe just leave the physical body in a sense or to numb the experience in the physical body uh, right. to make it more manageable. Well, that's a really excellent point because in the book, I disassociate. You see me from uh, you know the early part of the book, leave my body when things were being done to my body that shouldn't have been done. And yet I have to come back to the body. And some of that trauma stayed with me for a very long time. So that disassociation is also part of, you know, the psychic ability of natural remote viewing to bilocate and leave your experience and go to other places and ha- send your consciousness to other places and take a look at things. Right. You know, one of the things between Tom Campbell's work and the people that are interested in Tom Campbell's work is a lot of them are very scientific and they have a hard time embracing the nature of psychic abilities. And psychic is actually just all of the psychic functioning that happens between dreams and precognition and all the clairaudience and all those clairs, sentience, etc. And mediumship, it's all about accessing the data that scientists are interested in, right? Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yeah, so um, I, I wanted to switch gears just a little bit too, um, just in talking about your spiritual journey, because another part that I find um, pretty fascinating in watching you grow and kind of come into your own, and, and specifically the psychic ability and the gifts that you had that we're kind of talking about here. So this is a small little bridge about, you know, you kind of initially starting off in your career to be an actress. And now, you know, here you are, you're writing a book, you're a medium, you're, you know, co-hosting and, and on these shows and talking with George Norrie and Dreamland and, and all of that. And how does one make that transition from one to career, one career, and then to another career that, you know, is using this psychic ability and kind of letting go of that other identity of the way in which all of us tend to think that we should be, you know, making money or you have to have a quote unquote real job, not saying what you do is not a real job, but it's like outside of the norm, you know, it's like, well, you're not a teacher, a nurse, a doctor, a lawyer, an electrician, uh, this or that. But, and, and I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening out there who are probably in some sort of career, but really do have a beautiful gift and want to explore that more and maybe even go out and do that as a part of the way that they live, um, but might be really fearful to do that. So I'm hoping you could share that story. Well, let's just back up a little bit. Part of the nature of the acting career was also fostered out of my trying to survive my mother. I try, I pretended I would sit beside her as she was on her Naga Hyde um, sofa, you know, lounging like a Cleopatra while she was just 
you know, talking negatively about people over and over again. I was her armchair therapist as a kid. My feet couldn't even touch the floor and I would be listening to this. And part of me started to pretend, started to pretend like this was okay, trying to pretend that I could handle this. And then I got on stage in kindergarten and started singing and acting. And I saw my mother's face lift with joy. And she watched the television set all the time. And I thought, well, if I could get into that TV, maybe she will appreciate me and not hurt me anymore. And that was my trajectory. That's what I, that was my goal. If I can make my mother happy, maybe she will, I can survive and so will she. So that was part of the deal. Of course, I could sing and I was precocious and I liked um, pretending, but the pretend part can actually saved my life, I think. And so I write a lot about the the life of an actress and what that actually does for the body, for the soul by expressing yourself. You know, so many people now that I work with, with clients, they have voice issues. They, they don't know how to stand for themselves and things have gotten stuck inside their bodies. They've needed to move it out. So I credit even the, the, I mean, I credit the dynamic of having to survive my mom by by putting myself in this acting role. And when I, this all started happening, when the psychic stuff just started blowing out of my head and I had to really face it, um, I couldn't act anymore. I mean, part of me as this young woman had no character of her own, so I was adopting characters, you know, taking on this role and that role, trying to find out who I was. And when I started bridging with the love of deceased loved ones and helping others, being someone else or pretending didn't work anymore. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's interesting to hear, especially, you know, someone that is not really in acting, did a play, two plays in high school. But uh, I remember when I I was the lead in a play, it was really neat to, neat to kind of take on this whole other identity and mm-hmm. have used that a little bit as escapism. And, you know, and interesting in, when people read your book and, you know, they'll understand a little bit more with what the childhood was like, why you probably also needed in some ways to go into acting also for survival. Yes. Well, I think it's, and I think it's really great. I, I mean, I have lots of acting. I mean, still within the acting community because I have so many friends and still in the industry here, but they, they do teach acting for non-actors where you get to get in a room with, with accountants and <laughs> other people who don't really use their bodies very much in expressing themselves. And these people come out from this experience, you know, uh, different. They have more expansion with their voice, their understanding, their acknowledgement. And, and I love that because we really still are children at heart, aren't we? Well, I think that's, yes, I, I would say that we are, but sometimes that can get lost so much and we, you know, turn into being these serious adults and forget that the true nature of being childlike and love is the goal to return back to. Well, and you ask about the job situation, April. Well, acting was pretty lucrative. And when I actually left in 2002, I wasn't sure how I would respond. So I was in a situation where I had a few years, I had been married. So in that marriage, I was able to get a 
a grip about the fact that I was shifting in careers. But when that marriage ended, I was concerned, like, well, let's see what happens here. And I've had to trust and trust and trust and trust spirit, trust the fact that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, my my gig on Dreamland, it's not a paid job. I do that job interviewing authors, you know, of course, about their books and their events and all of these things, because I believe in the message. I won't interview someone whose message I don't believe in or mm-hmm. whose book, well, not not believe by belief systems, but feel that it has a, a message in the world. I, I try and get the best um conversations going for awareness and help for all people. And that's why I've stayed on the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what we do here too. I mean, I feel the same way, you know, there's different, uh, authors books that come across or different people that might be interested in, in coming on, but I also have to have a resonance with it and believe in it. You know, otherwise right. it's not going to, it's not going to be a great conversation. <laughs> well, yeah, there were a, cu- there were a couple people when Ann Strieber was alive and, and she was being the producer of the show. She would give me a couple people's book and books in the beginning of working on Dreamland. And, you know, there were some snarky moments and I thought, wow, I, I don't mind standing up to snark, but that's not really what I'm interested in, in promoting. And people have to, you know, spend their time sort of discerning what they want to follow or what they're interested in. But this is the work that you and Mike are doing. And you, you have taken it upon yourselves because of your soul and your experience to spread this out. And I love the fact that you are going, you guys are going to be doing videos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're excited about that. Um, facing, I'm facing a fear to actually get in front of the camera instead of being behind it. So I'm proud of myself for that. <laughs> well, April, even though I was an actress for 25 years, I just had a gig the other day as the psychic medium on a television show, on a, on a news show. And I went through so much anxiety. Oh my goodness. I was ripping through the clothes in my, in my, my wardrobe (laughs) going, Oh my God, I can't fit into this anymore. It was so cute and I can't wear it. Or, and, and then the dress that I did choose to be on the show. I mean, I don't think my boobs have seen the light of day that long. And (laughs) I mean, why, why I picked that dress? It was the one that fit. But the point was I had so much anxiety. And when I got back from the shoot, which was an amazing experience with these wonderful people, it's called, um, (laughs) for anybody that wants to take a look at it, it's on Facebook. It's a streaming show called good morning, la la land. And, and I'm in the first five minutes of the show. And then at the last 10 minutes of the show. It's really, it's a really dynamic with these really sweet people, but I was exhausted from trying to look beautiful. Right. <laughs> I mean, really, honestly, yeah. uh-huh. I mean, I think, I think that that was, that was, that was harder than anything that I've done. I haven't been on, on TV in, in a number of years. Uh, and, um, I mean, when we do television shows, uh, working as a psychic, that's one thing, you know, stepping on and being very natural, but sitting down on a news show that in a little studio, I hadn't done that in a while. And, um, I was, that's part of the thing about us being women and get a little, getting a little older and, um, well, yeah, I'm proud of myself that I got through it too. 
Good. <laughs> I'm proud of you too. We're in oh this together. God. We are in this together. And you should see my house. I mean, I still have clothes everywhere from what the heck am I going to wear? Right. I mean, guys out there are probably thinking, oh my God, these women, you know, we just put on a pair of pants and a shirt and we just show up. And they don't have to worry about, you know, their eyeliner melting or their lipstick smeared. So, right. yeah, well, but <laughs> but the ladies out there will get it too. Yes, they, totally. they, they feel our pain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm, I think that it's wonderful. And you talk about vulnerability. It's who we are. This is who we are, yeah. you know. Well, and, and as we're kind of coming to a close here, I wanted to ask you one last question, which is, sure. um, you know, as you're getting ready to launch and really put this all out there in the world, uh, for people to read. And, you know, I think the wild thing about being an author is you never know whose hands it's going to just wind up in, you know, right. um, or how far it can reach, which is also the beauty of all of this too. Uh, but what's your hope for it? Um, you know, if, if people were maybe just like, Oh, I want something to read or whatever. And, you know, you could say, this is, this is why I think you should go out and read the story, read, read about my life. Um, what's your hope that this book will do for people on their level of consciousness? Well, I can only hope that it makes them think of different things and expands their, their ideas about life. Um, the consciousness beyond and God, it's great PR for God. It really is. It's great PR for God because it really is understanding this elixir that we all live in, whether you want to call it God, but this consciousness that we're all a part of. And it's also seeing the beauty of their own intuitive abilities because each one of us has that spark inside of us. And it's my desire that when people read the book, they can go, wow, that's really interesting. I want to take a class in that. I want to learn more about remote viewing. You know, I hope by the time that the book launches that I will have the website that is attached for the book, that I will have resources in the back where, you know, I'm not teaching right now. I don't know exactly what this book is going to um, do for the next couple of years for me, but I really want people to be able to have resources for themselves. And you and I can talk about that another time, April, but I do want to list people and, and places where people can go, whether they've suffered some trauma, whether they need um, even even acting schools in, in neighborhoods where they're, where they're living. I'm, I'm excited. I'd like to share something about one of the dreams that I've had regarding this book. When I had finished it, I kept thinking, well, I want to go back to Chicago. That was my stomping grounds for so many years as I was uh, studying acting. And it was this place that I, I sprung from Cleveland to be in repertory company in Milwaukee when I was singing with an opera company. And I have these two amazing events set up in July. On the 12th of July, I will be at the Wilmette Theater with Jen Weigel. And Jen has conversations with Weigel. She is all over the internet um, with WGN. She's had numerous books herself, but what she's been doing is bringing in psychics, mediums, healers from all over the country who are really well known. I mean, from, from the top people to somebody just like me, who is, who is basically coming out of the closet, so to speak, even though I've been known, I'm not on the level of the Rebecca Rosens or the James Von Proggs, but she brings these 
people in for an evening where they talk about their events and their work, but they read the room. So I'm very excited about that. That's on Wilmette Theatre um, in Chicago, if you're interested in that. And then the dream that I had many, many years ago, you'll remember from the book Jim Cordy, who was the the director and choreographer who actually found me on a train. It's my Schwab's drugstore uh, story where he put me in my first acting um, or my first equity show at the Cleveland Playhouse. And Jim is now the artistic director of the Paramount Theater in Aurora, just outside of Chicago. It's one of the greatest theaters for for um, any kind of musical uh, works that are being done in Chicago. It's rivaling Broadway, actually. And I'm doing an evening on July 14th at the Copley Theater, which is the uh, part of the Paramount Theater, where Jim and I will be on stage talking about how acting is so fundamental in expressing oneself, uh, teaching intuition to each of us. We can we can work with our own intuition. I will talk about the book, and I will also work with the audience. And this was a dream that I had had many years ago, sitting on stage with Jim, talking about all of this, and it's coming to fruition. Wow, that's so great. Those events yeah. sound wonderful, too, and exciting. And that's got to be, um, you know, pretty exciting for you, too, like the unknown of what is this book going to do? You right. know, where is it going to take you next, considering where <laughs> yeah. you've come from? You know, it's, yes, yeah, it's wild. So and I and I just checked the numbers. Canada really likes my book, too. So I'm excited that maybe I'll get up, you know, get up north and work with people. But this is what I love. I love going around the country um, in doing what I used to call messages of love with Marla, basically working with groups, sitting with small groups and larger groups, talking about consciousness, intuition, and how we all have this um, wonderful gift inside of it. It's our God-given gift. It's our birthright. Yeah. Well, I just love that our paths have crossed and, you know, we continue to just develop this beautiful friendship. And you're definitely a woman that I look up to. And your vulnerability to do this has really just inspired me to become more vulnerable in my life as well. So thank you for that. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, April. Yes. And um, and so let our listeners know where this book can be bought. On Amazon. Go right now. Click on Amazon. <laughs> It'll be at your doorstep in just a few days. And also Barnes & Noble. Um, call your local bookstore. Make sure that American Psychic is at Barnes & Noble. And I hope to see you all soon. And I'm, I'm still doing work by phone. I'm working all over the world by phone. And I am starting these small groups. So if you're interested in getting five people together in in your neighborhood, etc., and I'm not necessarily in your city, I'm looking at doing Zooms in the next couple of months, too. So thank you. Oh, very cool. All right. MarlaFreeze.com. Yay. All right, Marla. Well, you know, you are always welcome back on the podcast whenever you have something uh, going on that you would like to share. We love supporting you. Uh, love the work that you're doing. And much luck to you with this book launch. Thank you so much, Mike and April. I'm so grateful. And thank you, listeners. 
If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.